men today need to understand that sexuality is something sacred, a gift given by God for the proper use, like everything given by God. And if you're raised in a Christian home with classical Christian ethics, so to speak, still you need to understand that it's not do this, don't do that, but you need to understand why it's like that. Father Mikael Feldhammer, good to have you on board for another conversation. I'm happy to be here again. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so a lot of people have been watching the last uh, recording that we did, uh, especially Swedes, actually. So maybe there's something <laughs> about the title Swedish priest, uh, the world's most secular country, who knows what. Um, but I've been having quite a few conversations with people. Uh, and there was another thing I thought, like, oh, I've got to talk to Father Mikhail about this. Uh, and that is the experience and your input on being married to a woman in not only the world's most secular country, but also the world's most feminist country, I guess, which is Sweden. Denmark's probably somewhere in third, fourth place, I would imagine we're a little bit further behind, but also somewhere there. Um, and this comes from really, I've had so many conversations with Swedish men uh, who, when we talk about marriage, then there's always this opinion that comes up that marriage just doesn't work anymore. It's not a good option for, for Swedish men in Scandinavia. Um, so my first question is, could you understand someone who's come to that conclusion living in that country where you are? Well, uh, uh, when I hear that question first, the first thing that comes to mind, it well, uh, it doesn't, it, uh, doesn't it depend on who you married, uh, who you get to marry, uh, the woman you're marrying to. And, uh, of course it does, but, as you say, Sweden is uh, really one of the most secular countries, and it has been very much affected by uh, third and maybe fourth wave feminism uh, over here. And there was a Swedish politician once, a social democrat, that said that Sweden is a very small country. We only have room for one opinion at the time. <laughs> so there's really also a homogenous uh, way of thinking in, in the media and uh, among politicians and especially in the middle class, uh, uh, which I think makes uh, up most of people living here. Uh, and uh, that opinion is quite informed by feminism and secularism. But uh, I think uh, when uh, the situation, when uh, the world is more globalized and you have opinions uh, coming from uh, all over the world, you will also have, uh, you know, a, an opening up of that opinion and uh, more opinions are allowed. And I think that the third and fourth wave of feminism, it doesn't really make women um, too happy. Uh, the, the, the promise is that uh, people should uh, be, uh, be happy uh, by following this progressive ideology. But I don't think that it really does the trick. And uh, I can see small hints of other uh, ways of looking at this, um, you know, coming through the cracks in the wall, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, well, uh, this is a digression, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, I think it's uh, rather hopeful to see that um, this is more and more falling, falling apart and uh, a more sound way, I think, of uh, viewing these things are um, coming 
not in big waves, but we can see it. So if marriage is no longer an option for men, I think you should, as a young man, you should still keep hope inside. And you should try to, if you're interested in marriage as a path for you, uh, you should uh, be in a context where you would be able to find a woman that um, you share a worldview with. Of course, uh, as a Christian, I can only recommend the Orthodox Church and uh, trying to find a woman uh, in that context. Uh, because if you're um, if a woman that has... I mean, I meet uh, women as well who are tired of the world they're living and they come to the church and they realize it's not, you know, a conservative, reactionary, old time medieval religion, but it's really the proper context for any human being. It's, uh, uh, um, what do you say, a hospital for souls. This is a favorite expression. And this applies to both women and men. And uh, you are able to work with all the bad aspects of humanity, uh, all the domination of uh, the manly strength, for example, um, and all the bad sides of uh, the feminine, uh, of femininity and things like that. Everything you can work with in the hospital of the church and you can find people that are, uh, you know, more and more healed and more and more becoming truly men, truly women uh, in the church. So I would say that if you look in the church, uh, you would be able to find, and if you practice patience, you would be able to find someone who uh, is a good uh, future husband or wife. I was actually just talking to somebody who happens to be uh, attending your parish uh, at the moment uh, earlier this week, and I, 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 I yeah, there, there was two things that he he mentioned to me. Which was uh, the first thing was that this long, long line to go into confession all the way to the entrance of the church. He, he was amazed at like just this, this, all these people standing there waiting patiently uh, to have a, a a moment to go to confess. Yeah, let me and just then the second thing. Let me just uh, say yeah. one thing there because yeah. there's a lot of talk about toxic masculinity in mm -hmm. our world today, mm -hmm. and as I said, many secular people think that the church is a reactionary place with uh, not uh, unmodern views of things i mean look uh, at that example you have uh, you have a line going all the way from you know the iconostasis back to the uh, entrance of the church of men mostly men actually that mm -hmm. want to repent that want to uh, uh, take steps away from their sin yeah. uh, those are men that show the utmost humility because they stand there in line, everyone can see them. They can see that they uh, want to confess their sins and repent. They have to I mean, tell you about the things that are most embarrassing and painful in their lives. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's share that with masculinity. You. It's a masculinity that is being healed in the context of the church. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's a very good point. It tied in very, very well with what you're saying beforehand as well. Is this this place of 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 healing like a hospital yeah and then so the, and then the second thing he was speaking about was just that he you know so in the orthodox church we actually have men and women standing on the left and the right hand side of the church right and so he was saying like uh he he was he looked over on the other side of the church it was just like just like wow look at all these beautiful amazing young women standing here and he happened to be married himself but he was he was like okay yeah you single guys like what are you waiting for <laughs> so actually I, had, I didn't recall hearing it so explicitly before um someone putting forward the church as a a place to meet a partner but um but can you talk a little bit about why you think that 
that could be the case that maybe the church is the right place to find someone a life partner uh, as a man or a woman who's looking for something well uh the church we need to define that first i mean i don't mean that during the liturgy or the services the holy services you should be you know looking around if there's a suitable person checking if they're <laughs> on tinder at on, the same uh, time maybe <laughs> sorry Checking out who else is on Tinder. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you could do that. <laughs> no, you should be focused on worshiping God. But um, but I mean, in, in the wider context of the church, of course, uh, people that come to the Orthodox Church, usually they understand that um, it's a non-worldly body, the body of Christ. And, and the people that come there, come there because they want to uh, be healed, as I said. They want to be true persons. They want... Um, they they don't want first and foremost to be you know the manosphere guys or the feminist ladies or any uh, any type of ism. They want to be Christians. They want to be followers of Christ, the God Man, and uh, they want that because they want to be healed. They want to be true human beings. So uh, I think that's um, I say to people asking me these types of questions that the most important thing that you would want to look for in a partner is that you share the same faith because this is really the foundation of uh, a happy marriage i think of course you can be happy if you don't share i mean people are different but in my opinion uh, the most important thing is really um sharing the faith can, can I just expand a little bit on that? Because on Mount Manifesto Core, this place where we have all these online groups for men, mm -hmm. then what we found is that we, when men come from different backgrounds and have different faiths, we have radically different worldviews. And our worldviews mean that we just see things differently. We really, you know, our beliefs determine what we see in reality. And when we see things differently, then it's actually very hard to have conversations together and be productive together and do anything. Mm. Uh, and and so this this thing of like sharing a faith, you know, people think like, oh, it's okay. Like, yeah, my, you know, my girlfriend, she's into yoga and she's into this and this and this and this. And I'm a Christian, but like, you know, we'll figure things out. But the problem is like, when you just see the world completely differently, it's actually incredibly difficult to create alignment and agreement on anything because you're actually going to have radically different experiences of the world. Mm. And, and And so- Finding someone who especially sees God the same as you, you know, the ultimate good, the thing that you're aiming your entire life towards, the thing that draws you and lifts you up and elevates humankind. If that, if you agree on that, then, you know, the other things can fall into place. But if you actually disagree about that, then it's very hard to create a, a positive, you know, uplifted life together, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, if you are blessed to have kids in the future, uh, how are you going to raise uh, the kids if you don't share the same worldview i mean kids yeah. give you opportunity to test your relationship shall we say it's an uh, it's a beautiful uh, experience but it's also ascetic in in a way because mm -hmm. it uh, puts a strain on your ego and the ego of your wife so mm -hmm. uh, and this is hard for us to accept so uh, it's good to have a good uh, foundation to that you share and that you work from also in raising kids yeah okay so father michael can we just go quickly down to a little bit more foundational um you're married i understand even yes. though you're an orthodox priest can you can you just quickly touch on that like um why can orthodox priests be married I, we know catholics catholic priests can't um and and maybe you can also tell us a little bit about like 
what are the principles or what's the relationship with your wife like? How do you how do you guys have a relationship together living in feminist Sweden as you are? Uh, yes, uh, I'm married. An Orthodox priest must have uh, uh, made one or of two uh, vows. Either uh, you must have made the vow of celibacy or you have must have made the vow of uh, holy matrimony or marriage. So this is before you enter the holy orders. And this is partly because it's not very good to have a priest, you know, being the spiritual shepherd of a, a flock or a church. And at the same time, he's looking around, you know, to see if, if there's a, a, maybe a suitable wife among his <laughs> spiritual sheep. So this is not very good. Um, <clears throat> so uh, one of those vows, and I'm, I'm a married priest. And uh, I used to say that next to Christ, uh, my wife is my salvation. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, very uh, blessed to be married to my wife. Uh, and uh, she's a, a very wise person, uh, very serious about her faith and very serious about the faith and spiritual uh, growth of our whole family. So he, she takes this seriously. And... Um, uh, she has expressed that, you know, before we were married, she, uh, we talked about what are you looking for in a future spouse. And she said that the most attractive thing to me is a man that loves God. And uh, this is really attractive. This goes both ways for us. Mm -hmm. uh, so she was looking for a person that was devoted to God. And uh, I was looking for the same thing. And... Uh, uh, so this is, uh, we try to help each other and we really share the same foundation in our faith. So, you know, in, in everyday life, uh, we, um, we talk about our daily prayer life. We talk about how we should do the fasting. Uh, we talk about how we should, you know, help the kids, introduce the kids. Uh, we talk about things we read in books and experience. Uh, and this is, you know, we don't have to talk first, you know, 30 minutes about, oh, of course, you you share the Orthodox faith, but I share the Buddhist faith or I share the humanist uh, way of looking at the world. And uh, therefore, we have different experience. We, you know, we share the same thing and we can work from that in our daily conversations. So this ties back to what we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. So uh, she's really, as I said, she's next to Christ. She's my salvation. Yeah. I thank God for her every day can you talk a little bit about what that actually means to say she is my salvation like maybe in a practical sense but also in in the terms of that we understand that in the orthodox church marriage is a sacrament actually perhaps one of the most central sacraments what, what does that actually mean well um it, in in practical terms oh let me begin with uh, the sacrament because that's actually a good thing to start from so uh, in the orthodox church marriage is a holy sacrament so it means that uh, marriage is um, a platform for spiritual struggle uh, that is especially blessed blessed by god and it is as uh, elder emilianos of uh, of simono petra he speaks about marriage as a place where three persons, so to speak, come together. So it's the man, it's the woman, and it's God. Mm -hmm. And together, those three work uh, in synergy for the salvation of the couple. Uh, 
so it's a place where the power of God, so to speak, cooperates with the the man and the woman. Mm -hmm. um, and the aim is for the man and the woman to, in the end, present their spouse before God and say that, uh, Lord, this is the person that, that you entrusted to me. I uh, I have done what I what I could to present him or her um, spotless and without wrinkle, so, as uh, Saint Paul uh, writes in in Ephesians. Mm -hmm. So and, and practically, this uh, means that in everyday life, because that's where sanctity happens um, and Christianity happens. It doesn't happen on special mountains uh, or special places it really happens in in everyday life uh, working in your heart uh, so this means that uh, in everyday life you are reminded of uh, that your ego should die and you should live in love for others and this i remember in the beginning of our marriage you know uh, small practical things we had to uh, find a way to live together uh, and i mean we married quite young i was at 21 my wife was 20 and this is very young for swedish standards um so we hadn't had time to um you know get settled in our ways of doing things yet so we were quite uh, uh how you say malleable more yeah yeah mm -hmm. um and uh so uh quite early on anyway we we were able to find things that you know uh, try to work together try to solve um i can tell you that getting married at 39 and 38 years old like me and my wife did is, is more difficult <laughs> <laughs> we uh, are much more fixed in our ways um, yes <laughs> sharper corners that need to get bumped off yeah but but by the grace of god it, it's yeah. uh possible of course yeah. uh, and um and uh as i said when you if you are blessed with kids and we have three beautiful kids um this struggle to kill the ego is even more intense mm -hmm. because you you don't um, you don't decide everything for yourself any longer. You wake up in the middle of the night with a crying kid, or you stand in the middle of the grocery store and your kid has pooped all the way up in the back up to the neck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so this is uh, things that you have to uh, work with, uh, and um, you know. Uh, as a person, it's easy for me, for example, to let pride do away with me and uh, other things. In in fasting seasons, it's difficult to keep up the fast or what have you. And mm -hmm. uh, my wife, she can remind me uh, about, <laughs> you know, Father Michael, you're not a saint yet. <laughs> I know you. <laughs> this is very, very healthy. Uh, it can be hard to accept sometimes, but uh, so you need uh, marriage uh, builds also on humility as a foundation. And this goes also both ways. Yeah, absolutely. I think for us as well, like I, I, I've never heard it formulated so clearly as in the Orthodox Church where I, I, I'm not exactly sure where this comes from, but like the idea that there are two paths to salvation and the one is to be a monk <laughs> Um, and, and there you dedicate your entire life to God, you're married to God. But I, I, for me and my wife, this is an incredibly helpful thing that really focuses our attention 
is that we don't just see um, our marriage as a tool to help heal ourselves, but we see it very much as the the path. <laughs> Uh, the path to God is through each other. Mm. Um, and so when you talk, when you speak about like the this idea that Paul has of presenting your spouse spotless and blameless before God, then I, I really find like the idea of, um, I've just been reading St. John Chrysostom talking about, you know, really how, how Paul explains like your body is not your own, but it's your wife's. Your wife's body isn't her own, but it's it's mine. And so it's my, not just you know, it's my responsibility to to purify it as well. And and how do I do that? Well, the only thing that works is love. Um, <clears throat> so needing to grow in love and our ability to to love each other and to care for each other and to nurture each other, it's such a difficult thing to do. It's such a it's such a and and having the right ideas and having the right understanding is not enough. <laughs> mm. um, so no, it's it's really good, and it's good to remind yourself that. Uh, when Christ calls us to love our neighbor, uh, our closest neighbor really is our wife and our kids. Yeah. So we, we don't need to uh, go a long way uh, to other countries or cultures because uh, we need to begin by practicing love with the people that are really our closest neighbors, so to speak. Not to exclude other persons, but uh, yeah. there's a, a an arena of practice right right there for you. Yeah. Okay, well, Father Michael, that's great for my next question because that lines up to you. We know, we hear every day on the media and everywhere we go that love is love and we should just be able to love everybody. And that means that we should, of course, like, you know, I'm talking about the pride movement and and how also just like the, the whole sexual revolution um, that is means that the, the way that we create relationships today with people uh, and that people kind of have intimacy is that they go to a bar, they go to a party, they go onto Tinder, they find somebody maybe they get drunk maybe there's a whole something happens whatever they go home together they have sex uh maybe they call each other the next day maybe they don't <laughs> um something happens right and then after you know maybe they end up moving in together because one of them needs a place to live and is getting kicked out or who knows whatever happens and then maybe at some point like someone the woman falls pregnant and then they have a child and they're like oh yeah maybe we should go get married or something like that so this mm. is this is the standard model that we have for creating families and relationships today and a lot of the people i know this is how their relationship came about to be right as they met each other at a party and then you know coincidences led this way so um, maybe the question I'd like to ask you is, what do you think about this model? And maybe you can also tell me what's what's the orthodox model uh, as opposed to to, to doing this, uh, mm. uh, how to create a long-lasting life relationship. Yeah. Yes, uh, you, you describe it quite well. But I need uh, first to say that uh, the people that come to the light of Christ, they come from this context. They come from this secular society. And they have maybe maybe experienced and lived like this earlier. And it's important to say that, uh, especially in your relationship, uh, as we are talking about now, for example, this, even if it came about in this way, it's still able to, you know, you can still uh, sanctify this relationship as well, together with your uh, uh, partner uh, okay. that you live together. Yeah, this is how I met my wife. This is how I met my wife. So okay. I, I'm, I'm, I hope I didn't sound too judgmental. If if so, it was to be oh, towards myself. Like, I, I won't even tell you the details of how our agent started. It's it's so, so confused and so no. uh, well, far, far removed. Then. 
you're a good example of uh, turning it uh, as uh, yeah. if, it's, gift to it's go- been the greatest thing that ever happened to me in my entire life was mm. was meeting my wife <laughs> mm. uh, and and the journey that we've been on together and how how you know so maybe yeah. it's a I just I just wanted making. to say that yeah so yeah, people don't feel lost because uh, it started in the wrong way but yeah. having said that having said that uh what you describe is actually an inverted order of how God uh intended us to do i would say and i will come back to that so when you do like uh, most people do in sweden and in denmark uh, you get also the results that we see around us today um you get a lot of broken families and people that su- suffer so to speak from a lack of wholeness in their lives uh, you see uh, kids raised by only one parent usually the mother and this is really destructive to the society as a whole so if you want to do something good for society stay together with your wife um or man um mm-hmm. not just for society but for yourself as well <laughs> yeah yes of course um <laughs> and and we're going to talk about uh, reasons for divorce later i think but um uh, stay i mean i listened to two ladies on a podcast once it was meant to be a conservative podcast but they were talking about marriage and they said they still clung on to the notion that marriage is something that you agree on as it's a contract as long as both agrees and get something out of the relationship mm-hmm. and as soon as uh, that contract is broken or one of the persons uh, doesn't um find it meaningful any longer they can divorce so this is really the liberal meaning of uh, marriage mm-hmm. uh, uh, a christian meaning of marriage is uh, of course far more deeper even than the conservative view uh, in that it's an icon of the relationship between christ and his church so anyway back to how people do it today uh, if couple just let their relationship happen as by chance as you describe and this is quite common Uh, you know you lose your apartment and uh, well uh, it's the most reasonable thing you know seems to i mean we've been together for one month uh, we should uh, move <laughs> in together <huh>? yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, it's practical you save rent and you blah 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 all the things that you tell yourself that this is a proper thing to do or uh, we are getting married in two months anyway so let's move in together right now um all these things uh it's it's like you know letting your relationship happen without uh, making um how you say clear decisions mm-hmm. about the journey that you're going to take or the path you're taking so mm-hmm. uh the moving in together just happened or even meeting first just happened at the bar and then um maybe you move in together and you feel that ah oh, it's this is not going the way we think maybe we should do something about it And they say, well, the two options, we should uh, be um, engaged. Mm-hmm. This In the movies, it usually works. Or we should have a kid. Well, that should bring us together again. And this is really disastrous because having a kid is putting a strain on most relationships. As I know, <laughs> related earlier, you don't get to sleep as much as you'd like. And, uh, you know, you don't have your, uh, you're not alone anymore. Uh, so there's a third person there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and um, so people need to wake up and start to make um, actual decisions this is what I want mm-hmm. I'm going to marry you because I want to be with you and I'm uh, going uh, making a commitment 
um, until my dying days that I'm going to be with you. This is the proper way to do it because by doing that, you build a foundation of trust upon which you can then meet all the challenges of life um, that you are going to face. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's uh, many men have problems with porn, pornography. Um, but I've heard one time someone speak about romantic drama movies as the pornography for women. I don't know how much truth is in that. Mm -hmm. But there can be uh, sometimes unsound uh, expectations on uh, marriage and relationship that needs to be, you know, taken down to earth. You need to understand that in marriage, you will always realize later, sooner or later, that you, to some extent, married the wrong person. <laughs> Uh, as uh, opposed to in the your expectations will be disappointed yeah whatever, yeah whatever person you think you married like something else will show after the marriage yeah so um, um this th that's why you need the uh, commitment and the foundation and you yeah. need also the faith you you if you do it in church you have the blessing of god to uh work together in in your marriage so maybe uh, can i just add a little something bit something is done and practiced by the majority of the population Mm -hmm. does not mean that it is good or true or beautiful. Yeah. This is really important also. Yeah. Um, maybe I can just add something to what, what you said earlier as well. Definitely not just doing what everybody else is doing. Uh, uh, is is um... So one of the things that we work with with guys is to help them create a, a vision uh, for where they want to go in the future then to set concrete goals and then to actually work in, con in in practice in an everyday level towards moving towards those goals and therefore the vision that they've set. And I think the most powerful and challenging, but also the easiest way to get started with for a man is, is if you're, if you're a single man is to understand the beauty of the vision of being united with a woman and what, how that can transform your life and create a family and make you into uh, a, a father who can, you know, kind of that, that's for me, everything I learn about leadership, about, you know, kind of understanding the world better, becoming a more loving person. It comes through my role as a husband and a father in my life. And so I, everything else I, I, I becomes far easier when I master small little parts of, of how to perform those roles. Hmm. And so so being able to set that goal before myself and then thinking, well, what do I need to do right now to become the kind of man who can find the right partner, attract the right woman, who can you know, be able to uh, look after, you know, be financially stable and uh, to be able to provide for a family and, and all these kinds of things, you know, to be an, an attractive partner. I think one of the things that do attract women is being a man who knows where he's going and can create that clear progress forward so you spoke a little bit about how like just coincidences and things happening in life lead us towards these major decisions of you know deciding to move in with a person or something like that i think i think as well like you know one thing i like i, I was really surprised when i came into orthodoxy is that there isn't this kind of like you know kind of finger wagging um condemning of for example people's sexuality and and people who you know are doing different things or something like that. There isn't this, you know, sometimes there's a real puritanism in mm. Christianity. As soon as you even like, you know, uh, you know, if you, if you, you have a girlfriend or something like that, then this, this like an incredibly strict thing, you're not allowed to do anything outside of this. And if you do the order, like automatically a bad and evil person where in Christian, in, in Orthodox Christianity, I find like a, uh, um, a kind of an understanding 
um, and an understanding of where people are at and the need for them to be able to slowly move and change and find their own way and to do things not from kind of a legalistic understanding of like rules and regulations, but more of a growing love for God, which leads us to understand how to love other people in, in a good way. Mm. In my own life, you know, as I mentioned, you know, my, my relationship with my wife, it came from a very confused and twisted place about what love was between human beings. So I bought into this idea that love is love and you can't control anyone else. If you, if you love them, then you have to let them be able to do whatever they want to. And certainly no one's going to tell me what I should be doing with my sexuality, not even my partner, right? Like I need mm. to be free. And so there's this misunderstood, um, which which is understandable, you know, like the, the father has to stand up in the middle of the night, maybe doesn't feel free, mm. but I think that, and maybe we can talk about that afterwards, about how actually real freedom is found in these committed, responsible relationships, actually, mm. um, of becoming a real human being. But anyway, my, my point is that just that, um, yeah, it's something that can grow within our hearts as we come to an understanding of God, right? Uh, uh, yeah, and, and, and I that think happens. Uh, yeah. uh, you're absolutely on point, and I I love what you said. You know, a man has to know where he's going uh, to become a real man, and uh, for us Christians, uh, our really our only goal is Christ, and so the goal of the man should be Christ and become Christ-like as much as he's able to. And in the context of the family and marriage. That means dying like Christ mm -hmm. for his loved ones, for his wife and for his kids. This is really the self-sacrificial love mm -hmm. uh, and humility that uh, we talked about in, a, in an earlier episode about uh, role models for men. Mm -hmm. And uh, we concluded that humility is one of the main things that men need to have. Mm -hmm. uh, and this can be expressed in, in not a whimsical kind of way, but in a really manly way in uh, giving his life for uh, uh, first and foremost his wife and his kids mm -hmm. so i love that yeah yeah absolutely yeah and 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 i i you know it 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 becomes clear and clear to me how like this thing of giving your life it starts as a bit of an abstract thing and it and and then it, you relate it to okay well i have to give up a little bit of my time or a little bit of my sleep or a little bit of my energy but when I look at my father now, who's, you know, well into retirement and, and getting older, like I actually see like he's given his life for his family. He has given his life for his family and everything that I admire and can take from him as a man, as a role model of being a man and all the goodness in my life and the things that I'm, you know, that I can do well and naturally are all things that I've learned from my father. Uh, where he's actually sacrificed himself. And it's some of the things, it's even the things that I despised him for as a teenager. Mm. And I hated him for as a teenager that I now realize today, like, wow, when I I didn't see my father properly and what he was actually doing. And now I can really appreciate it. And, and then I can see, well, okay, well, I'm going to have to do the same thing for my child, you know, and I have a three-year-old now. And so there's plenty of things I do that he really doesn't understand. It doesn't appreciate at all. And it, and it's painful for me to do it sometimes. Um, because I, I see how, you know, he, 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 yeah, he fights against it. And, and, and so it's, it's the, it's, it's not the easy way out. The easy way out is often to, to just let things slide. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there's a view of a parenthood today that you are supposed to be your kid's buddy yeah. or best friend. And this is not really good. Uh, it's not what you're supposed to do as a father. You're supposed to be the father. And I think uh, being a father comes with a certain responsibility of order 
putting boundaries and showing this is how we do it in our family um you know this and this will eventually br uh, bring um, security uh, to the kids and and to raising the kids Maybe I can ask a little bit. You were talking a little bit earlier about like, you know, you and your wife, you have the same principles and and that that helps you really to know how to live your lives. Um, how do you deal with that when sometimes you understand principles differently? Uh, because one thing is setting boundaries and creating order for your children. Like sometimes I have to, especially with a three-year-old, I, I force my children to obey. Uh, and if he doesn't, then I'll physically, you know, because he'll do things that are dangerous for him. You know, he'll run out into the middle of the road. Mm. Um, with my wife, I have to have a very different approach. So how does one deal with things when you actually have a direct disagreement? Um, uh, what, what's your approach there? Well, uh, there is also one thing that I'm thankful to God for my wife. She is a person that is very communicative. Um, sorry, that's a word uh, not very uh, easy in my mouth. Commu communicative, anyway. So this means that she, for example, if there's something between us, she is not able to go to sleep before that is solved, which has resulted in that we've spent uh, quite many hours late uh, at night mm -hmm. during the years trying to solve things, talk through things. And she has forced me to put words to my feelings. I'm not always very good at that, but she has taught me uh, more about that. Mm -hmm. And that is really something I, I think uh, is a good thing for men in general, to be able to try to put words to their thoughts and feelings. And uh, that, that way they would, uh, th th it will help them, um, you know, come to terms and work on their passions in mm -hmm. a way, uh, if it's pride or, uh whatever what have you mm -hmm. but uh if we disagree on something uh, i think some things we will always to some extent disagree upon because we are different as persons mm -hmm. um and we will always uh, view a few things a bit dif different but uh, we manage to work and live together uh, in spite of those small differences but of course if there's a big difference uh, that um, it's not um, you know able to it cannot exist and the the relationship exists at the same time so to speak um, we haven't had any such serious thing but uh, my approach is really to pray and to be really how you say um show patience um, and uh, try in my best way to express in a way that she might understand in in the beginning of our marriage i gave her i just gave her a book if you want to understand this you, you read this and <laughs> it, it resulted in a, a stack of books <laughs> on her so that didn't work because she didn't read the recommendations i made <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. so but as uh, time went by I began to understand her better mm -hmm. and she began to understand me better mm -hmm. and how we communicate not only with words, but, you know, uh, all the small things in life, a touch, uh, a laugh there, uh, a gift there, something uh, like this. And through all the means of communication, uh, I, I, I would be able to eventually make a point, but um it might take a year or even longer if there's something that because it's easy for for us to explain a thing 
to the rational mind and we can understand it but we to make it part of our experience of life to change how we view life in a certain aspect this needs to come about in a more existential way so to speak so that's why you need patience with yeah. some things but one say that that's been one of the difficulties or challenges of our entire western society and our uh, of Christianity, maybe to a certain extent as well, especially in the West, is that it's become a little bit disembodied and it's up in the the prefrontal cortex much more, mm-hmm. and and we've disconnected it often from and and maybe it's also a male characteristic as well, is that we we you know think much more of abstract ideas yeah. uh, and and don't always focus on that. I think Father Mike, Michael. Maybe we can, uh, in some time, have a whole conversation about the married life and and spouses and and dealing with these things. That probably could be interesting. Hmm. Um, let's. Uh, the the next thing I'd like to just ask about was, um, um, I've really experienced since, especially since I've become married, I've noticed a real difference when I meet other men, if they're a married man or if they're an unmarried man. <laughs> what does that change inside a man when he when he makes that? takes that step into marriage uh, and do you do you have an experience of that uh, yes i do uh, it's hard to speak for all married men and non-married men of course but one difference might be that a married man has uh, this everyday opportunity to let his ego die uh, for his wife's sake and uh, as we've said also more intensified when the kids eventually come yeah. so this I, I think is something that an unmarried man he lacks that natural arena so yeah. to speak yeah. and i remember one time i used to work part-time at the, at a warehouse driving a truck because the church couldn't afford uh you know paying a salary yeah. so i had to make money some some way and uh, one of my colleagues a younger uh, brother he came up and he he told me that Michael, um, you know, you and all the other uh, dads, people that have kids, you're always so relaxed and, you know, at peace. Uh, I, uh, whereas uh, we, the younger kids, uh, are uh, much more, you know, intense. And uh, I'm, I don't remember ex- his exact words, but hmm. uh, wh- why is that? Why do you uh, think that is? And, uh, uh, and I said, well, uh, you know, as soon as you have kids it is not longer uh, yourself that is the most important person in the world but your kids your kids mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. and uh, i think that applies also to this question that uh, a married man realizes that there is something more important than himself mm-hmm. someone more important rather mm-hmm. and someone that he finally finds the reason to e- exercise his true manliness I'm talking about this self-sacrificial love. Mm -hmm. He can exercise it in relation to his wife Mm -hmm. and his kids. And this is really, I mean, Mm -hmm. this is something really beautiful. Mm -hmm. This is possible, of course, also for unmarried men. But I think that they need the church to help them find ways to express that. Uh, It's definitely not easy for an unmarried man in the culture today. And, And I'm speaking from experience of, you know, even... Even, you know, so I, I spent a large part of my adult life unmarried and um, a large seven years of that, I was on a spiritual search. And very early on in that spiritual search, I realized the path to um, love, to enlightenment, to spiritual growth is through service to others. I, I knew that. 
but if I look back at that time, I was just a playboy. It was I was just being a playboy, this kind of like going with the flow and enjoying the fruits of life. There's so much abundance in our society today. Mm. And for men, this is a disaster, actually. It's actually yeah, the greatest Western disaster culture, we're facing. It, the Western culture doesn't offer anything that doesn't talk about self-sacrificial love in any way. Uh, so uh, I, it's uh, difficult to find that sort of motivation if you base it only on the cultural influence. Yeah. But if you are s- somehow uh, awakened to other values, uh, I'm talking mainly about the Christian faith, of course, mm-hmm. you might have this uh, thing, um, motivation inside you. Uh, I know, for example, of a person that goes regularly to an old folks home and sits down in, in a group of conversation with with the elderly. Uh, this is a very good way to, uh, you know, practice self-sacrificial love. And you can find all other uh, ar- arenas for that as well, to practice this love. But you need really need to, you know, come out of your own ego. That's the most important thing, I think. Yeah. And I, I for me, the Orthodox Church was like, it was the the necessary community. You, I think being anchored in a community and and having a set of practices that help to do this as well. Mm. Uh, at least certainly, when I experienced all kinds of other often commercial New Agey uh, related forms of spirituality and in the secular culture as well, then it's just so hard as a man to keep that focus. I, I think. And but but marriage just has this effect on guys. It's like to, you you are the the thing that enables a marriage to actually work, especially in our culture today is self-sacrificial love like it's a necessary ingredient otherwise things will will fall apart at least that's my my experience okay so maybe if someone's listening to this and they're thinking like oh this marriage thing sounds interesting and <laughs> maybe there's even some swedish guys there that uh have you know been interested in it had some hope what would you say is what should a man look for if he is considering getting married what what is what is a good wife to consider Wow. Uh, well, uh, I, I, we've spoken about it already. The First of all, uh, a woman of the same faith, or at least a Christian faith. Uh, I know that there aren't men, perhaps too many Orthodox uh, women or men in Sweden, but I think the most important thing, a woman of same the same faith, or at least a Christian faith, uh, mm. somewhat traditional mm. Um uh, the same faith is the foundation of a good marriage, I think. It's not a guarantee, but it's a, at least a good condition to work from. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't, as we've said, if you don't even share the faith, your everyday life will be filled with you know, strife and constant quarrels. Mm-hmm. Uh, or just also, lack of intimacy and connection, I would say, as well. Like You can also just kind of ignore all the stuff and just be parallel boats going somewhere, but there isn't, there isn't a real intimacy, which is... Yeah. What makes marriage work as well, right? Yeah, intimacy in in uh, uh, it comes from faith as well, because if you share the same faith, it's also easier to completely tr- uh, trust each other. Yeah. I would say also that uh, a living spiritual life in the church is something to look for. Mm-hmm. Uh, humor is mm-hmm. great because you face uh, quite a dull and boring everyday life. You know, you drive your kids there and you do this and you blah, 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 blah. It's good to have humor to laugh together mm-hmm. and laugh at sometimes the miseries of life. Uh, good manners is mm-hmm. uh, something uh, good because, well, it speaks for itself. Uh, kindness, humility, respect for elders, things like this mm-hmm. uh, are, all, are all good. But 
it's also important to say that a man looking for such a woman must first himself also become worthy of her. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of talk on the internet now. Uh, you, you have basement dwellers, men that uh, sit and uh, say what they want in a wife, but they themselves doesn't even shower. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I know it's a bit of a caricature, but uh, you yourself have to be um, enjoined to Christ and uh, live a, a spiritual life in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um so um you must prepare yourself for uh, faith um in faithfulness to Christ in his church as a man mm-hmm. and fostering uh, good manners living in purity and humility and uh, as saint paul speaks uh, says somewhere you leave to leave shyness uh, shyness behind mm-hmm. and be manly mm-hmm. i mean it's uh, uh, literally what he says mm-hmm. And uh, uh, leave uh, the childlessness behind, and or, or childish ways, not not childish ways. Yeah, yes. childish ways. Yeah, yeah. When I was a child, I thought like a child. I acted yeah. like a child. Uh, yeah. But now I'm a man, and so is that what you're referring to, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, that. Uh, but also, I think it's in Philippians or Ephesians. He talks okay. about <clears throat> how you leave the childish ways behind yeah. and um, uh, become manly. I mean, that means what we're we talking about that you know where you're going and you uh, try to live acquiring the virtues in your life mm-hmm. you, you just don't live you know haphazardly um not having any real focus in your life but uh, you live with a focus and the yeah. focus is Christ yeah maybe i can make a little plug here father michael because this is the way i earn my money uh so i i'm full time working to run a network of of groups uh, online for men only just because we've noticed that guys relax and open up and share much more vulnerably and easily and think the same way when there's only men in the room and if you put one woman in the room then they change especially when they're single guys but even with married guys as well we we relate differently to to women so we found yeah. there's a real advantage of just being guys um we we often there's similarities in the way that we both face problems and and deal with them as well yeah and so and and what we do is we 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 get an understanding of what's the highest thing. There's a lot of non-Christian guys in this group as well. Increasingly, as I'm putting out Christian content, obviously I'm having more and more Christian guys signing up. Um, and 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 so we create an idea of like, well, what is it that I'm aiming for with my life? What is the vision? We have this like drawing that's inspired by Jonathan Peugeot uh, of his cosmic mountain. We try and draw onto this mountain. Like, what are the elements that I want to have in my garden uh, of, of, of what the good life looks like? And then you can make concrete goals based on that. Uh, uh, so this is the, these are the things I want to do in the next, you know, 12 months and the next three months, this is where I want to get. And then based on that, you say, well, what am I going to do every single day? That's going to help me to move toward these goals. Hmm. And then each guy gets put into a group and then you actually are, you once a week, you meet with your group. And then every single day, these guys are in contact with each other, have a little buddy check-in. Uh, I do this with my own biological brother now, uh, every single day, two 30, I ring up my brother. He lives in Canada. And, and I check in like, what's the thing that I need to do today that's going to help moving me towards my my, my next goals? Mm. And um, I think that if one has a really good life in the church, then I think this thing, this isn't necessary. But um, I think especially for men, myself, I've spent many, many years of my life developing really bad habits and losing that integrated focus on where it is they want to be going. And so being in a in a solid group of people who are helping me and are trying to do the same thing in their life as well has really helped me to create that focus in my life. 
Um, well, the church has uh, uh, its own tools, yeah. but uh, I don't see why a group or a project like this could be a, a thing, a complementary thing as well. And especially in, in Scandinavia, uh, it's a very individualistic society. And having this really focused, scheduled community, it's mm -hmm. uh, something great, something really great that uh, takes us out of our enclosure, so to speak. If you're a man trying to create order and structure and direction in your life, then having an order and a structure and a direction to plug into helps you to do that as well. Yes, so, well said. Good. Okay, uh, so we're, we're nearing the end. Um, maybe can I finish off by asking, I mean, maybe we've covered this as well. Um, uh, but for a person who's in a bad marriage uh, mm -hmm. or something where they feel like things aren't going well, maybe it's the boredom of doing the same things all the time maybe there's these conflicts maybe there isn't a, a real intimacy maybe the sex life isn't working very well um and and people are that can obviously lead to a lot of frustration for men as well hmm. what should one do in that kind of situation well <clears throat> this is really a tricky question because the first and first, uh, foremost thing i need to say is that it's a, a mainly a pastoral question between you and your priest um, so if you experience those kinds of problems, please speak with your priest and see uh, and ask his guidance because uh, it's very difficult to speak generally about a bad marriage. I mean, you can have a sexual frustration or be bored, or you can have someone abusing you or hitting you and things like that. I mean, mm -hmm. you're going to get different advice depending on your uh, yeah. type of problem. So, but generally, generally speaking, the church encourages the spouses to endure in prayer and see a, a, a see prayer as a way or the marriage as a way of gaining spiritual treasures. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe by God's grace, uh, it is able to be turned for the better again. Mm -hmm. Um endurance is not something that our society speaks generally very much about today but the church does and we we don't want to see the holy sacrament of marriage discarded all too easily but mm -hmm. that being said there are times when all hope is lost mm -hmm. and uh, the the marriage is not an icon of christ and his church in any way uh, which it is supposed to be and then the church might accept a divorce but it uh, does not come 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 about easily. Yeah. So, are there specific things that you say like this would be uh, a grounds for ending a, a marriage relationship? Then, well, um, there is uh, one ground for ending, and that's uh, uh, how you say it in English: uh, sexual, infidelity. Uh, infidelity. Yeah. Thanks. Mm -hmm. um, it, and if there's no repentance or no healing being done from this abusive relationship, eventually it would be uh, a cause for ending it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why Why infidelity maybe? Why, why, why do you think that's so important? Like I think for a lot of people who have this, you know, after the sexual revolution, then people don't get why that should be so important anymore. Well, uh, because uh, the holy sacrament of marriage is iconic, and uh, it's uh, meant to resemble the relationship somewhat to uh, to to Christ and His Church, and and infidelity is always connected with idol worship and things like that in the Old Testament, and in the this uh, pattern remains in the New Testament as well. 
So uh, infidelity breaks the iconic relation between the, the spouses. And um, also it, it breaks uh, the foundational trust that marriage is built upon uh, because the one of the expressions of the intimacy of the couple is the sexual union mm. um, and this uh, I mean if you have sex with someone and uh, you don't share the intimacy and the trust and uh, it feels a bit I uh, I can imagine uh, it feels a bit awkward um, mm -hmm. maybe I'm wrong because uh, but I mean, you need to have all the good things in the marriage to have also a good sexual relationship. If you lack trust, if you lack intimacy, then your sexual life is going to be uh, formed by that as well. So if you break that trust and intimacy and go uh, into infidelity, it uh, breaks the foundations of the marriage. Yeah. It's so, yeah, it's, it's like sexuality has been so, I, I, the only word I can think of is degraded. <laughs> it's become so degraded. It's become like a thing, like, you know, shaking someone's hand or brushing your teeth almost. Maybe yeah. that's an, ex an exaggeration, but yeah. I, I think that there is always been this understanding of sexuality as something incredibly sacred and incredibly precious. Mm -hmm. um, and, and with contraception and with the kind of, you know, like the media that we watch, the, all the stories, if you look at all the stories, you know, sexuality is, it's so cheap. It's been so cheapened, right? Mm. Um, even for myself, I grew up in a very conservative home, um, but I went full on into, when I moved to Scandinavia, then um, the culture, it seemed so modern and progressive and and this was the future, right? And, and it was all about like a cheapening, if I look back on it, you know, and then especially as I started getting into kind of spiritual circles, then unfortunately, you know, kind of like non-Christian spiritual circles, there's an even further cheapening of sexuality, even as they're talking about sex as sacred, mm. then it's something that you also can just do with whoever you want to. So it's oh. very contradictory and confusing. Mm. And so it, it really was difficult. But when I, for me, this was actually the greatest barrier is because there was a part of me, you know, my, my animalistic desires that wanted it to be true that sex could be beautiful and sacred and transcendent and I could do it with whoever I want to. Mm. But it, it just became so clear that that was actually the barrier that was stopping me, not just from, you know, marriage and from living a good life, but actually from seeing reality the way it was. Mm. Is that reality, the way reality is, the way human beings are, is that sexuality is a, the, probably the most, one of the most powerful tools we have from nature you know, maybe you know it's not a it's it's just something that's given to us by nature to connect with another human being and to create a good life. Hmm. Um, and when we treat it that way, then everything else can fall into place as well because it's one of our foundational drives. Um, and when we when we play around with that or when we ignore that, then it brings in so much chaos hmm. uh, and 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 distortion into everything else that we're yes. doing in our lives. Yes, I think this is the a major major problem that men are facing today. Yeah, indeed. They need to understand, men today need to understand that sexuality is something sacred, a gift given by God for the proper use, like everything given by God. Uh, and if you're raised in a Christian home uh, in, in with classical Christian ethics, so to speak, still you need to understand that it's not do this, don't do that, mm -hmm. but you need to understand why it's like that. And um, uh, our sexuality is given to us also for proper use so that we can 
uh, understand where we come from and where we are going. So uh, it needs its proper place in our life as well. Okay, good. Father Michael, anything that you want to add at the end of the conversation here uh, before we we finish off? I think this has been a, a good covering of uh, life for between men and women in uh, in this in Sweden from an Orthodox perspective. There's a lot uh, more things one could say. Uh, I I hope that those listening and watching this will uh, find it in themselves to explore this topic more from a, a traditional Christian perspective. I say again, don't listen to progressive voices, either within or without the church, on mm -hmm. these topics, because they are wrong. They are informed by uh, our uh, humanistic age. Listen to the church uh, and listen to the tradition of the church and the saints of the church and um, submit yourself to God in these matters. I guarantee that it will be a help for you. Amen. Thank you very much, Father Michael. Thank you.